0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings, you can always find this show on any podcast app you like, Podbean, Stitcher, Himalaya, anywhere you find your favorite shows. And if you don't like podcast apps or you don't want to be looking at your phone because you listen in the car, you can always just ask your smart device like Siri or Amazon Alexa to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you to the most recent episode. So today, we are going to recap the draft in a more macro sense. We are going to look at the way the Vikings navigated things. We're going to look at the kind of their their total haul based on what we expected them to get, based on like the original picks that they started out with. We're going to look at their trades as a whole, and we're also going to look at all of the undrafted free agents. They are all in. Uh, they will be made official before uh, or after this podcast releases. So uh, hopefully, there's no surprises there. But I've managed to kind of dig around and look and make sure. Uh, that all of the, the undrafted free agent trackers are actually giving you accurate information. So I have uh, the, the list of undrafted free agents that I've gone and verified myself and made sure that like everything should be uh, in order there. But first, let's talk about the draft in a macro sense. And there's a few different ways that we can do this. For one, we can look at the picks that the Vikings started out with, pick 18, pick 50, pick 81, 120, etc. And, and we can say, okay, what did we expect to get out of that? And there's a bunch of different measuring sticks we can use, right? We can use the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. We can use the Chase Stewart trade chart, which is rooted more in like historical data and the points actually mean something and, and like represent an idea versus the Jimmy Johnson one kind of, it's just like one guy like assigned some numbers. Uh, and it doesn't even really represent the way that teams behave anymore. Uh, there was a, a really interesting quote by Bill Belichick about the trade charts, about how like everyone kind of uses the same chart now, and it's not the Jimmy Johnson chart. It's different numbers, but everyone's kind of like reached the same equilibrium. Uh, so that that is really, really interesting that like the valuation of picks is kind of balanced out. And we don't know what those numbers are because all that's going to be kept, you know, like really internal, uh, but we can still kind of assume that we're judging everybody on the same yardstick So we can take that, like, initial, here's what we thought you were going to get, whatever number we come up with, and then we can compare it to two things. A, the picks they actually picked at, because that basically is one way of, like, looking at all the trades, because the Vikings moved around a bunch. I think they made six trades over the course of the weekend, and we can look at those trades and say, okay, did they come out with more than they started with? Because, you know, if not, then those trades are a huge issue, right? If they moved back so far that they ended up getting so many lesser players, and then the picks that they picked up, if those picks are late enough, you know, these late seventh round picks that are... Are too small that have too small of a chance of making an impact and therefore are too invaluable to like make up the difference between all the trade backs, like that is something that that would reflect very poorly on the way the organization did it. And conversely, if they manage to move back just a little bit, the difference between, you know, pick 81 and pick uh 102 is like, oh, maybe it's not that big. And then the picks that they picked up are like worth more than that would reflect very well. It means that they came in Uh, with less than they walked away with in terms of just opportunity to select players. They they had the opportunity to select more value, and then we can take that and compare that against who they actually got, which uh, we can use the uh, Rifasan's consensus big board and a lot of the work he's been doing over there as kind of a proxy for, like, who are the best players? Did they actually get good players? You know, if you you can trade a ham sandwich for the second overall pick, and it doesn't matter if you pick a crappy player with the second overall pick. That trade is, is nulled. But it still makes sense to say, okay, that was a good trade, but you picked a bad player with it, and to kind of leave those two evaluations separate. So let's dive into this. So the Vikings started with picks 18, 50, 81, 120, 190, 209, 247, and 250. I am going to stick to the Chase Stewart AV chart uh, with with my own calculations, and on that AV chart, picks two forty seven and two fifty are so low and and so seldom create a player that actually starts plays on the field and gives you value that they actually don't get a assigned a point value. So you can kind of call those like free assets almost, like the you know things that are not really worth anything. If you manage to trade that seventh rounder for a player, you you. Uh, got something good. Now, that's not to say that the players selected at that juncture, uh, BC Johnson and, well, maybe Austin Cutting because he's a long snapper, but BC Johnson, that's not to say that, like, he is a worthless player or anything like that. It just means that because he was selected so late in the draft, typically that tells us that he is a player of a caliber that has a really low chance of making it in the NFL and making any sort of difference. And if he does, hey, more power to him. He's overcoming some odds. So if you add up the, uh, the approximate value that you're supposed to get from those eight picks, it adds up to 38.4. That is about the rookie contract of a Russell Wilson, something like that. Uh, the whole draft should add up to that much uh, in terms of, like, expectation. And if you do, after the trades, the, the, the picks that the Vikings had, they stayed at 18 and 50, and then they ended up with pick 102. They traded way back. Uh, Pick 114, they traded back up, and then they picked up a whole bunch of extra. They got 162, they stayed at 190, but they got 191, 193, 217, 239, and then they hung out at that 247 and 250 pick. So that's 12 extra selections, and here's the thing. Here's where, like, the kind of glut of all of that extra value was added was in picking up a fifth rounder and picking up two extra sixth rounders. So moving back from 81 to 102, uh, the the 81st pick has an expected AV value of 6.6, and the 102 pick has an expected value of 5.1. So you lost 1.5 of value. Basically, you slid back the equivalent of a sixth round pick worth of, of value. And in doing all that, because you did it with, you know, four different teams and each of those teams was willing to give you a pick, you managed to pick up a couple of sixth rounders each time you moved back. And eventually one of them turned into a fifth rounder and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's not really worth going into the details of like which, which trade did what or whatever. Uh, but the point is, you know, you moved back about a sixth rounder's worth and you picked up two sixes, a seven and a five. It, it's a really strong profit and you end up with 41.4 points of, of uh, approximate value and so that, that's a three-point difference from what you started with, and it, the, essentially the trades created uh, a fourth-round pick's worth of value out of thin air. Another way to look at it is that between all the players that the Vikings got with picks that they did not start the, the weekend with, uh, all of the, the extra stuff that they got coupled with, you know, the lower chance, if you pick at 81, that player theoretically has a better chance of succeeding and being, and being good than the player you would pick at at 102. And that's before you make the actual selection. It's just that if you're picking at at 81, there's going to be a better crop of players to pick from. So your odds are a, a little bit better. And at 102, it's a little bit worse because you're just picking from, from fewer quality players. So couple that with a few extra bites at a very like low return apple, which is the sixth and seventh round of the draft. But if you get to take a couple extra swings at that pinata, you get a little bit of a better chance of like getting a player. So between all of those extra picks that they picked up, say, you know, they, they ended the weekend with four more picks than they started with over the course of those four picks, you have odds are, you're going to get somebody that would fulfill like a fourth round value. So of those four picks, you have a pretty good chance of adding to your team somebody like uh, Jarius Wright, I think is a good, like, standard, you know, right on the average line, fourth round pick return. A a Jarius Wright-level player uh, was basically created out of thin air in addition to what the Vikings started the weekend with in the first place. So that's me, like, that's a really endorsement, endorsing the trade. So uh, I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we'll talk about the actual players they got and then the players they got after the draft. I'll see you all in a second.
0: masterclass or at least your time at home com slash P E R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdown podcast.com slash offers that's locked podcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning into to lockdown podcast network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: All right, so the last segment really talked about like opportunity, right? The Vikings started with a certain number of opportunities, and because they ended the weekend with more opportunities, that outweighs the fact that those opportunities had to slide back a little bit and become just as, you know marginally worse. It makes it, it, it was better value to get more opportunities, and and but really that's all opportunities, and none of that matters if you blow the picks. So who did they pick, and, and was it actually good? Now we we already analyzed the actual players and what my personal opinions of them are. But my opinions are, are not law, and there's a lot of people with differing opinions out there that are smarter than me. So let's turn to the consensus board, where all of those very smart opinions are compiled into something that actually can be used as somewhat of, of an authority on the subject, at least in, like, where we stand right now, right? And you know, it's always interesting to look back in hindsight, but, like, where those players stand right now versus the selection they were picked at. If you pick, for example, on the uh, consensus board, uh, Garrett Bradbury is the 27th best player there after you... Uh, Apply some data and some positional value stuff. Um, the, the 27th player getting picked at pick 18 is a little bit of a reach. Now it's something the Vikings needed to do for need. So you kind of can give them a little bit of slack for that. Uh, but you can call that like, all right, they had to take a value hit because of their need. And if you look at each pick in that lens, like how well did they do? And, and Arif Hassan, I'll link it in the show notes, did this very exercise and he did a really good job of it. And he really like, uh, you know, con- took into consideration a lot of things like need and a lot of things like. Uh, you know, the fact that the second pick is... The difference between the second pick and the fourth pick isn't the difference between the 100 second pick and the 104th pick. Uh, and, and making sure that, like, that the capital that the Vikings had in the draft is, like, more properly represented. So uh, he he did all that. Read that for more details. But I'm going to go over the conclusions of it because I think that it's, it's a good perspective to use. So the best pick of the whole weekend, actually, in terms of, of what the consensus big board thought and in terms of, like, expected value versus actual value uh was actually Dylan Mitchell and I was really surprised to see that just because he was such like a late rounder and usually those guys like the difference between those guys is usually pretty compact um but Dylan Mitchell ranked 152nd on the actual big board and we picked him 239th so that actually is a really nice uh pick value um, in other positive picks the Chris Boyd pick is seen as positive the Oli Udo pick is seen as, posi- as positive uh, the Drew Samia and the Irv Smith pick are all also seen as positive and there's actually a lot of like negative picks uh, the Austin Cutting pick he wasn't on the board so he had a value of zero so just using anything is like not that excellent however you know that being said again like I said before the 250th pick typically doesn't return a lot of value so it's kind of a, a data driven way of reiterating what I said about the pick yesterday like it's a blown pick but you blue kind of a nothing pick to start with. So like, whatever, it's not going to define the draft. The Garrett Bradbury pick being uh, a negative pick does hurt. The Alexander Madison pick is extremely negative. Um, the, like the most negative pick or the second most uh, negative pick next to Ola B.C. Johnson uh, and of course, Austin Cutting and Marcus Epps, who also was not on the big board and Cameron Smith and Armin Watts were both slightly negative picks as well. So all of this adds up to a, a slight loss in value there were just a few picks that were too reachy for the consensus big board to think that the vikings did a good job and i and i think that's fair there were a couple moments like the the madison pick i was very heated about on the day uh the marcus epps pick i mean when you pick two people with draft picks that aren't even on the consensus big board that goes all the way down to 300 that method is now going to punish you for doing that it thinks that you took a player you should not have taken and if you want to disagree with that then that's totally fine But since the big board as the consensus board, like as an exercise has been really successful in the past and has actually put up like similar predictive results as the NFL itself, uh, I I do think that it's a reasonable perspective to just kind of take on faith. I think it's it's earned that over the years uh, and, and over the exhaustive analysis that Arif has done, like evaluating his own evaluations if if that makes sense so they come out slightly behind but not horribly so and remember that this is behind what the the vikings were expected to get with the pick they selected at not necessarily the picks That they started with. So essentially you get an effect here where the Vikings traded around and created new value, but didn't take quite as much advantage of that value as the consensus board and that methodology would expect of the Vikings. And I think that's a reasonable way to characterize things going into this. And it's why, like, if I were to give it a letter grade, I'd give it like a C. You know, it's it's good in some ways, bad in other ways. And there were just too many big blemishes for me to really look at this draft and say, wow, slam dunk. But I do think that there are players that I'm really excited about. I think Garrett Bradbury, I I support the Garrett Bradbury pick, even though I acknowledge that it is a negative value pick. I, I still think that it's okay that they made it. Um, even though like there's one guy I would have taken over it. That's Andre Dillard. And otherwise, like I would have taken Garrett Bradbury at 18 too, if Andre Dillard were off the board and the giants didn't blow it by picking Dexter Lawrence. Uh, you know, so, so it's like, I, I get that it's negative value. I support it anyways. Um, I don't support the Madison pick. I don't really love the Cameron Smith pick. I think he's too low ceiling. Um, and, and once you get into the late rounds, like uh, there's a lot of guys that I'm excited about, but again, also acknowledge that there is a low chance that they actually turn into the player that I'm excited about. I still am excited about those, those, you know, long shot chances. So I, I think all in all, it's okay to like acknowledge that the Vikings had a draft that does not live up to the value that we thought it was going to get, but we can still be excited about the players anyways. I don't think those two things like come into too much conflict. However, the Vikings are not done getting players at the end of the draft. By the time the clock strikes zero on the seventh round, there is a flurry of calls and everybody comes and signs, and the Vikings did pick up 11 players, rounding out their roster. They are now at a full even 90 and let's uh, let's talk about these guys a little bit. So the first undrafted free agent and kind of the uh, the headliner, I guess, because he got like a three-year deal and he got like six figures guaranteed money, and that's really cool for him because you know it's not very likely that he makes the team. Uh, that's Jake Browning, quarterback. Uh, he he's going to have an uphill battle to make the roster like all these guys are. Uh, So getting a bunch of guaranteed money and getting a big contract and stuff that's really cool and and will be like really nice for a guy that like worked really hard at college to get to this specific moment this specific prize. Um, I'm going to talk a lot more about these guys' stories and kind of their humanity over the next few months it's basically all this podcast is going to be for a while so for now I'm going to focus on them on the field and like analysis of of their actual play. I think this is a good opportunity to do that. So uh, Jake Browning according to you know everybody who's done scouting on him has plenty of tools and showed a lot earlier in his career uh, but he kind of regressed over the last two years enough to fall out of the draft even though there was actually some buzz in earlier years about him being like one of the better quarterbacks in the class and so if you can figure out what that regression was about and either fix it or realize that it wasn't his fault because it was something going on at his in his school or with his coaches or something like that if you can get around that you might actually have a player that but typically those situations don't pan out the way you wish they did, which is why he fell out of the draft. Uh, Moving on to Brandon Dillon, tight end. Um, He is... a a, a tiny school guy who went to Marion university and that's going to basically that's going to get good players overlooked all the time. Like if you think, Oh man, this guy just didn't get scouted enough and that's why he wasn't drafted. But if someone scouted him, they would see that he's draftable. Like the reason for that would be that he's in a small school. So it makes sense to take swings on these guys for basically free uh, in undrafted free agency. He's got plenty of polish. He has plenty of, of NFL athleticism. Like he would, he would fit in very nicely. Um, however, I, I think his ceiling is, like, limited. And I think you're not, you know, you're not going to find people with huge high ceilings in undrafted free agency unless they just have no idea how to play at all. Moving on to John Kinoy, he's a center. Uh, the big thing about him is that he's too small, but he's got this tough, nasty streak. He's uh, He's cerebral. And honestly, if it weren't for his size, he probably was a draftable player. And and if you can see those traits on tape, you know, you see him overcome his size all the time on tape, the assumption is basically, I'm not going to draft him because he's going to go up against NFL-level defensive linemen, and he's going to stop getting away with all that size stuff. But in undrafted free agency, the rules kind of change, and that's the kind of thing that you can say, all right, well, let's actually see. I actually kind of like his odds to make the roster, especially with the state of, of the interior offensive line as it stands right now. Um, real quick, just uh, interstitial. I. I did get this list off of somebody who did a forum post on 247 Sports. Um, so I, I'm linking this list in the show notes in a tweet and responding to that tweet. I credited that person. I, I can't remember their at at the moment, so I'm really sorry, dude. Uh, But he did great work compiling all this and basically put it all in one place. So all I had to do was verify it. And so thank you very much to that guy. Um, So moving on to Micah Abernathy, a a defensive back. Essentially, his deal is that he has a great build. He's got really good size for a corner, um, but his skills are completely like raw. And that means that, you know, he's going to have to get NFL coaching And find his way to sneak onto a practice squad, which probably is going to mean, you know, special teams and impress the coaches with your attitude and, you know, impress them with hard work and stuff and really outwork your competitors. And if you can get on a practice squad and maybe try to develop, there might be something there. Moving on to uh, Henri Saint-Amour, uh, defensive end. He's quick. He has plenty of pass rush moves. He he seems pretty good, but very similar to John Keno, he's just too small to get drafted. And if, if he can continue to overcome his size in, in the pros like he did in college, there might be something there, but you kind of have to see it before you believe it. And that's why you're not going to spend a draft pick on him. Uh, moving on to Davion Davis, another wide receiver out of a small or another small school guy. He's a he's a wide receiver. He produced really well, and and maybe that means he's worth taking a shot at. You know, like he, he stuck stuck out a, at a small school against small school competition. Um, I kind of see it as a similar idea to like the AAF. Yeah, you. You know, you can only take in so much of, uh, like, you can only take it on faith so much when it's against small school competition, because, like, well, yeah, he's playing against Scrubs. Of course he's going to dominate. That doesn't mean he's an NFL-level player, but when you see those small school people look like they don't belong amongst the small school people, then maybe, you know, it, it is worth it to give them a shot amongst big school and, and big-time people like NFL-caliber players and see if they continue to stand out, right? Like, his, he's outgrown one lake. It's time to put him in the next and see how he does. Uh, so the next one is one of two stories I really, really like for the exact same reason. Uh, it's Tito Odenabo. Uh, that last name might sound familiar to you because he is the brother of our very own uh, on-again, off-again defensive and defensive tackle, Afadi Odenabo. Uh, so that that's going to be a really fun training camp story. Everybody's going to cover the crap out of it. Me notwithstanding, I love it so much. Uh, it just makes It just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. But on the field... Tito Odenabo is a defensive tackle. Uh, he's very resilient. Uh, people, like, kind of always described him as, I, like, gritty is kind of a meme word, but he has that, like, kind of, like, work ethic, like, really, like, rough and tumble type guy. Um, he did have a, a transfer thing that kind of caused him to, like, stunt his growth a little bit, and and as a uh, result, his pass rushes leaves a lot to be desired, and that's where he'll have to improve to really make, to carve out a place for him in the NFL. Uh, Moving on to Alexander Hollins, he might be my favorite one. So he's a Juco kid, and and the Juco uh, junior college, like, arc kind of leads you on a road, right? Because your development gets disrupted by going into junior college and playing against, like, really you know, lesser competition. And then you don't really like hone your craft as much as somebody who plays four years at Alabama. So it kind of stunts your growth a little bit, but that means like, it doesn't mean your growth, you like you still have the same ceiling. It's just going to take you that much longer to get to it. So sitting on practice squads for Juco guys, or, you know, getting a little bit of work your rookie year and stuff like means that you can grow quite a bit further. You're just a little bit, not as far along in, in your development, which means you need a little more patience. And, and Alexander Hollins has good speeds. He runs all the routes trees. Uh, that all needs a lot of refinement for the reasons I just said it. But I really like Alexander Hollins' chance to get make the roster, uh, both because of the way he played in college, but also because uh, he is in a group that is wide open. I mean, you've got, you're probably not cutting tread well unless he has a really bad training camp. Diggs and Thielen, and that's kind of it. You have a couple of people you drafted in the seventh seventh round. They are not guaranteed a roster spot. And then you have Brandon Zilstra and Chad Beebe, neither of whom are guaranteed a roster spot either. So it is completely wide open. And if you can really, like, excel and show that you shouldn't have gone to Juco, and the reason is that people go to Juco very often have nothing to do with their on-field performance, uh, you know, if, if you can prove that you didn't belong there and that you should have been drafted, you can really stand out amongst this group. So I like his odds. Uh, next up, we have Kari... Blazingame his name is awesome he's he's a running back with the name that literally looks like Blazing Game Um, he unfortunately does not blaze though he's a big thumper he's like very similar to an Alexander Madison type and I'm very curious I actually kind of have an eye on them in uh, training camp between Madison and Blazingame, like to see, you know, how much better is Madison than Blazingame? Probably a, a solid amount better because, you know, Madison went in the third and Blazingame didn't go at all. Uh, but one thing that Blazingame does have over Madison is that he has utility. He's got a, uh, he's a better pass catcher and he's got like some pass protection, shows some upside in those ways. Whereas like Madison doesn't really have that. Uh, but he has like no ceiling to speak of at all. He is just a big brutish dude. And that is not very conducive to making an NFL roster. So don't worry. I'm not going to, like, say that they should, like, cut the third rounder or anything. That would be insane. Uh, Next up, uh, two more left. We have Marshawn Diggs, another brother. uh, Brother of Stefan. It makes me so happy. I love it so much. Really hard to find scouting on this guy. So I apologize that I don't really have, like, a very nuanced take on his on-field performance. uh, But I do know that he stood out at UAB. And that's another kind of small school thing. But like anytime you saw somebody like previewing a UAB game, he would be the guy that's like and, and on the opponent side of the field, they have this defender named Marshawn Diggs, who's very good, um, you know, so it, it leaves me wondering, like, would he have gotten a chance with an NFL team if he weren't the brother of a player? Uh, I don't think that is a question that he ever really needs to be expected to answer, because again, he did like stand out. He was one of the like nameable players on that UAB defense, and that is a small school situation. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, get in, play a little bit with your brother, play against your brother in drills. That'll be really fun to watch and see if you can't crack the roster or the practice squad. You know, he's he's going up against an AAF player and a, a late round draft pick, and that is not something that is unheard of for an undrafted free agent to knock off. And then finally, we have Nate Meadows, defensive back out of UCLA. Uh, so his story is something I'm going to go into a little bit later. Um, But essentially his his college career was like defined by a really poor junior year, uh, kind of highlighted in like one specific moment against Cincinnati, followed by like a bounce back senior year. So that kind of leaves you in like a, a questionable spot, right? Who is he? Is he his junior year self or his senior year self? And, and you don't really have enough information in like earlier years to really know that, like, did he just have a down year or was his senior year the fluke and you don't really know. And that's a really good reason for a guy to go undrafted. And now he gets, you get to bring him into camp and you get to see what this kid's all about. So that is 11 undrafted free agents. We have now between, uh, uh, season previews or season reviews in 2018 between uh you know free agency coverage and draft coverage we have talked about every single player that will be gracing the vikings roster this training camp uh, barring rookie tryouts there are a lot of rookie tryouts there's a lot of information out there on who is coming i'm not covering it right now uh, i will cover it if any of those guys knock somebody off of the 90 man which happens almost every year so i i kind of anticipate that we will be talking about that but i'm going to wait for them to actually be coming into camp before i do that it doesn't make a lot of sense to talk about like 39 players that are going to be with the vikings for just a weekend so that is going to do it for my draft coverage. Now, remember, I, I've been talking about this, but as a reminder, if you missed it, I will not be coming back for the rest of this week. I will not be posting another show until a week from today, the day this airs. So we're go- I'm going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to kind of shift gears after that, and then we're going to talk about training camp preview stuff. I'll get more into detail there, but basically, every year for sites that I've written for, namely Purple PTSD. I would uh, do a training camp series where I preview every person on the roster, and I would tell you their stories. So we're going to shift gears from an analytical and an analysis and evaluation mode to, like, storytelling mode. Because up, up until this point, I've been talking about on-field. Are they good enough? Are they big enough? You know, are they fast enough? Do they have the polish? Are they the right kind of raw or wrong kind of raw? We have now had that conversation, and any time that that conversation needs to be had, I'm just going to point back to the podcasts where I talked about it. Now it's time to talk about these guys' stories. Why are they here? How did they get here? How did they why did they get drafted or not? Why did they end up getting cut from their old team? You know, or why didn't they get end up getting cut or anything like that. We're not going to spend as much time on the big name players. I will say a little bit about like, all right, here's Anthony Barr, and let's like take a minute to reflect on how Anthony Barr got here. Uh, for this particular season, and and we'll we'll talk about that, but this is more to get to know the people that are going to be filling up your screens in the third quarter of a preseason game. You know, guys that you usually wouldn't care about because, ah, they won't make the team anyways, but they are fighting for their lives. You know, not everybody can get six-figure guarantees like Jake Browning. A lot of these people, and even Jake Browning, he has 1.75 million on the line if he can make the roster. And in my opinion, every single player has a cool story like that that is worth telling. So we are going to spend the time... Other than covering, covering, you know, whatever news comes up, which probably won't be much. It'll be kind of a dead area. And to fill all that time, we are going to be talking about every single player. I promise I will get... To every single one, not a single person will be left in the dust. And you, if you listen to this show every day leading up to training camp, you will be able to go into training camp with a lot more context for who these guys are when they make a play. And when you see a tweet, oh, you know, so and so just made a crazy catch, you'll kind of know where that's coming from. And, and I think it will make the training camp and preseason process a lot more entertaining for you. It has always made it more entertaining for me. This is actually kind of low key my favorite time of the year because I get to really get to know the players on my favorite football team, and I love that. But that's all going to be over the course of the summer. So for now, I'm going to log off. I will see you all. On Monday, thank you all so much for listening to all of this draft stuff and hanging out, especially people who came and, and are new to the show and people who came like just for the draft stuff. Thank you guys especially for coming and hanging out and choosing Locked On Vikings to get your draft analysis. That is awesome. I cannot thank you guys enough. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you've listened to your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device-to-play podcast, Locked on Vikings. I will see you all next week, and we will start this beautiful journey down the roster. And as always, Skol.
0: Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked on Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked on Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked on Wild to your device every day.